You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome, welcome to Jeff Werber and our special guest, Heather Lindsay, here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Pet Life Radio's live call-in show, and we're here bright and early this morning with some of us, for me, 9 a.m., uh, Heather is out in Nova Scotia, which I believe is, is that three hours? It's four, actually. It's oh, my God. Oh, God. So for you, it's one o'clock. <laughs> That's insane. Anyway, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to talk talk pets, of course, and we want to talk to you. A couple of ways to get a hold of us. First of all, you can call us, 877-385-8882. It's an easy one, toll-free, and you can ask away. You can also uh, join us online. If you go to the Pet Life Radio site, you click on the show, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. You can just follow us. You can type away, and you can also, there's a link there for Google Hangouts. If you have Google Hangouts, that is fantastic because you can actually join us live and even if you have your pooch or kitty with you, you can put them in front of the computer and show us that spot on the skin that's been bothering you or show us those dirty ears, whatever, and we can help you through that as well. Then once again, we're here, thanks to our sponsors, Kong Veterinary Products, Comfortis and Trifectus by Elenco Lily, Save This Life Microchip, and of course, ProSense Pet Products. So we've had Heather Lenzer, Dr. Lenzer here in the past. She is a practicing veterinarian. She is also uh, with the American Animal Hospital Association, of which my practice happens to be a member for many, many, many years. And um, we're here to talk about the summer, the heat, and it is really, really hot. I was doing a segment at the Fox Affiliate in Las Vegas two weeks ago, and at night, and I'm talking like 10, 11 o'clock at night, it was 105 degrees. So when we talk about, you know, a lot of times we say when we talk about exercise, you know, exercise early morning or late evening, there is no good late evening there. <laughs> it is unbelievable. And even where you are in the, you know, the northeastern portion of Canada and way out there to the east, clearly, if you're four hours from me, it gets a little cooler at night, though, doesn't it? It does. It, it's been pretty humid here, though. And I think that's something that sometimes people forget about is the humidity. Um, it all goes back to basic physiology, so how an animal works and how specifically dogs work. And you and I know that dogs don't sweat, and they don't use that humidity to their advantage the way people do. Instead, they blow off heat by panting. And even dogs that are, are in a relatively cool day, maybe 70 degrees or so, if they have difficulty panting off the heat in their body, they're going to get overheated. And the classic dogs that and that most people know about are the brachycephalic or the short-faced breeds. And I know you love those. I see pictures of you <laughs> holding them all the time, and you're fixing them a lot of times to make them breathe a little better. I certainly am. I have two Frenchies myself. Oh, My I son didn't has a Frenchie and an English. Okay. So you know we have, we're kind of a family of those pushed-in-face dogs. And I work with a number of um, rescues, and one of them exclusively is pugs. So I see so many pugs. So between the Pugs and the Frenchies and the Boston Terriers and the, the Bulldogs and the Shih Tzus and the Losses, the Japanese Chins, there are so many dogs out there that have those cute little, little pushed in face, the peaks. And you're right. And you can tell because what happens is, and, and we're talking dogs without a problem. We're talking pure, pure anatomy here. <laughs> and what happens is the harder they breathe to try, try to, to eliminate that body heat, the more swollen 
their tissue gets in the back of their throat. It's a problem, and these dogs actually can overheat. As a matter of fact, you know, we're on the subject of the, the heat. If you travel with your pets and you call the airlines, you might notice a lot of airlines will tell you that during the summer, they will not even fly some of these dogs unless you get the permission to take them inside the cabin with you. So it is really really a problem and uh, oh you know talk about well we could talk about so many things but let's talk about one other condition that uh, does affect a lot of non pushed in face breeds non brachycephalics usually it's the retrievers in fact I took a call I was uh, doing a radio spot the other day from up in uh, KGO in San Francisco and this lady called in with her seven-year-old golden retriever who is having these breathing issues and snores and the more it pants and it was like I can tell you without just as all I can do is hear that golden retriever exactly golden retriever that sound and we have something called laryngeal paralysis we call LARPAR and it is very very serious and as some of these retrievers especially get older I know my 15 year old Labrador has it to some degree it can be a problem we definitely want to see a veterinarian and think about getting that the larynx fixed and they lose tone back in the throat at the voice box area and there that you get this fluttering of the folds the vocal folds the larynx and they really have a tough time breathing and there's a surgery that can be done usually it's done by a surgeon called the tie back and um, the only bummer about the tie back is and I'll tell you this when you think about especially also this time of year but one of the things about the retrievers that they most of them and I would say most but all the ones I've ever had love to do is swim and when they get this tie back, they cannot close the larynx all the way. And these are going to be very, very careful because they can just take in a lot of water into their lungs. So it's very important that if you have that retriever and it has the tie back, you need to be extremely cautious when it comes to doing what they love to do the most, and that is swim. So what are like, some of the dangers that we should talk about, about the, uh, the summertime, the heat, exercising? How about when to exercise? Well, I'm a big fan of doing it early in the morning, like you said, and late at night, unless you're in Vegas, where you know <laughs> Vegas never shuts down. And just really keeping an eye on their feet. Are they dragging behind you? Are they stopping to lick their feet? Because dogs, can they actually can burn or rub off their paw pads, even though they are pretty tough. My parents actually were babysitting my dog, and they took him for a bike ride along the beach. And, uh, you know, they're almost 70, so it wasn't, they didn't go too far, but they went too far for the dog and actually rubbed his paw pads raw running on the sand. It didn't even dawn on them to check because the sand's so soft and his paws were so sturdy. But, you know, he was really licking his wounds for a couple of days and they felt really bad about that. What's interesting is about the uh, sand and the beach and running like that. People say, well, what kind of it's bothering them? Why are they doing it? Well, they're doing it because they love us. Right. And, and <laughs> that we have to start recognizing some of the more subtle signs of them getting really tired or really hot. And sometimes, as you said, Heather, it's just slowing down sometimes. Right. That might be enough. And if you're going to do anything like that during the day, I recommend, well, always have water with you. There's a great note. So I saw these are great. If you like to play with your dog, like toss and fetch. Chuck It has these new products that are they're stuffed with that water-absorbing foam on the inside around the firm rubber. So as they go retrieve it and they bite down on it, they're getting a mouthful of water, which That's is a great, great way to idea. keep your pets. Oh, it's they're so cool. They float. They don't sink, so you can play with them in the pool. But it's a great way for your dog to have fun, run around, and always sort of controlling that thirst because every time they grab it and they pick it up, they're getting a mouthful of water. So they might not even think to stop and, and get something to drink because they're having so much fun. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and they do. They, they'll just keep going. And it's not until they really, it hits them hard when their temperature might be 104, 105 degrees on the inside because they can't pant enough to regulate that body temperature. As you mentioned, they don't swell. You know, to be specific, there are actually two parts of the body that dogs and cats will sweat. And it's interesting, the sweat glands that help with the temperature thermoregulation are called ecrine sweat glands. And dogs and cats actually do have ecrine sweat glands, but only two parts of the body. And I always give this little, little clue, a little, I ask the client, I say, okay, if you look at your dog's body, there are only two tissues on the body that look different from everything else, and but they look the same as each other. And what are they? The tip of the nose and the pads of the feet. If you hold the foot pad up to the nose, you say, oh my God, that's the same stuff. That's where they sweat, but certainly that's not enough body surface area to regulate, which is why they, they resort to panting. But sometimes if it's so hard or they just can't pant enough, they will overheat. And that's the problem with leaving dogs in cars. How many times have we talked to our own clients, you and I who do a lot of media, we'll talk to everyone else out there about the dangers of leaving a dog in a parked car, even in the shade, in the hot weather. And that's because that, think about it, if your dog's temperature is already 100, let's say 102, all right, which is still normal, 102 and a half, even sometimes even up to 103, but let's say 102. If you ever put your hand in front of a panting dog and you feel the breath coming out, it's 102 degrees. So now let's put that dog in a car where the windows are just cracked a little bit and they're getting hot and they're panting and they're trying. And the more they, the, the hotter they get, the more they pant and the hotter that air coming out is. So it's like feeding a steam room. So even though it could be, you know, well, I, gosh, I parked him on, in the parking structure and it was like 70 degrees under there in the shade, it doesn't make a difference because they are creating their own heat. And now we did a, a time-lapse photography trick once. We put one of those big, like, outside outdoor pool thermometers in a car with a dog and we watched. It got to 114 degrees in less than 10 minutes. And that's insane. Yeah, so that's why we insane. don't do it. And you know, in some municipalities here in Los Angeles, for example, if you see a dog that is panting in a parked car, windows, even if they're cracked, and you ask around, you honk your horn, you cannot find the owner, guess what? You can take a brick and break a window in that car. And the animal regulation will definitely protect you. So that's really, really cool. So it's um, that's why I'm saying there's so many things. And that's a good thing to check in your, you know, in your state and in your city to see what people are doing, what is legal and what isn't. But a big tip that I wanted to point out is once someone's figured out that a dog is overheating, they tend to freak out and they want that dog cool fast. And the problem is if we cool them down too quickly, we bring them from 107, 108 degrees down too quickly by dousing them with ice water from the cooler, throwing them in the pool, turning the cold hose on them. We drop that body temperature down to the low 90s, even high 80s. That can almost do more damage itself than the heat can. The body goes into shock, and we can lose animals because, primarily because the owners tried to cool them down too quickly. So what we want to do is mimic sweating, even though we've got those two little spots on the body that sweat. We want to mimic the temperature of that, of that animal and put that nice warm water on them. So warm water not too hot, but lukewarm, put that on them uh, wherever you can, ideally their whole body, but if you only have a little bit of water underneath their armpits, their head, the flaps of their ears, and on their belly, and stick them in front of a fan. Now we're using the wind to help cool down the body, dry off that uh, wet, the wetness that's there, and that will help cool them significantly and much, much safer than dousing them completely in cold water. And another point is that when we are doing this and we're monitoring their temperature as they're coming down, 
you can stop trying and stop working at it because there's always a delay from what you're doing to the time the body responds. So we usually rec once we get to like 101, 101 and a half, we pretty much stop because they're going to keep dropping. We already know that. So you don't want to get down to the point where there are 100 degrees or, or like you said, 99 because then they're going to keep dropping even after you're done trying to cool them off. So it's very, very important to monitor, but we do see it. I'm amazed still after all the work that some of us do to try to, to help and encourage people not to do midday running and exercising with their dogs. And yet still I have dogs coming in that are um, having a problem. And uh, it's surprising to me. You know, one of the things we had mentioned, we, I mentioned about the air travel. And, you know, again, it comes to mind because it's a time of year and my hospital is not too far from the airport. And a lot of times we get these frantic calls from someone, not sometimes a non-client, and say, oh my God, we're at the airport, they won't let us on the plane because, all right? And it is so important when it comes to traveling with your pets to prepare. You wanna solve the problems before they become a problem. And one such problem is know whether, make sure the airline, first of all, will allow your breed. Make sure they require something more than, if they do require more than just certificate of vaccine, sometimes they require health certificate. Now, some airlines don't. You need to know, you need to prepare. And my recommendation is that the person you talk to on the phone, unless they own the airlines and they make the policies and chances are they're not, they may not know what's going on or they've been doing the job for so long that they've never asked for the health certificate anyway. So they're telling you, nah, you don't need the health certificate. Just make sure your vaccines are current until you get to the airport. And guess who's working today? The brand new guy who's going by the book and they want that health certificate. So just do it. Have the health certificate ready to go. If you are traveling, for example, from the U.S. to Canada, right? Not only the health certificates, you sometimes need an international health certificate. Canada probably doesn't require it, but they were going to require identification with a microchip. You need to also make sure that your microchips now are ISO microchips. It's the International Standards Organization. Just so you know what an ISO microchip number looks like, it's 15 digits, no letters. It's all numbers. And I'm amazed. Heather, I just had a, a dog come in from a, a fairly reputable rescue agency, and they were chipped with one of the old-fashioned chips that starts with four letters and then has nine numbers after that. You probably know who I'm talking about. I don't want to rag on anybody. But the truth is, there's, it's inexcusable at this point with knowing what we know about travel. You realize that if you're going to not have an ISO chip, you probably, because what's happening is more and more readers, the, the scanners, are not equipped to read the old frequencies. So your pet might be chipped with a, a very good microchip from one of the uh, you know, big companies that has not made the switch. And unless you carry the scanner with you, there's no way to identify. So you have to say to yourself, what should I do? Should I get a $300 scanner just to travel for once or twice a year? Or should I just get a new chip for 50 bucks? And don't be nervous. There's, there was some internet stuff out there about the dangers of a microchip and the cancer causing. Well, let me tell you something. I've been doing this for 30 years, over 30 years. Microchipping since the whole microchip phenomenon began. And I mean, thousands and thousands of dogs and cats I have never yet, including all my own, and I don't want to go there how many I have and how many I've had in the past, but it's a lot. Just suffice to say, it's a lot. I've never had a problem. So, you know, sometimes they'll migrate. Sometimes, you know, they're a little harder to find exactly where they are and where you're going to put the scanner. That, that might could happen. But as far as cancer, I have not seen. Heather, have you? I have not. No, and I just, I think the risks of a dog or cat getting lost, not being identified, and ending up in a shelter as a stray animal, the risk to their health is so much higher than, than any sort of even made up 
thought about cancers. So just go with what makes sense and what we see more often than anything, and that would be animals that have escaped and can't be claimed because they don't have a microchip and nobody knows who they belong to. And just to let people know that uh, the American Animal Hospital Association has a really neat tool on their website, that's aha.org, A-A-H-A.org, that shelters and veterinary hospitals use. They will, when a shelter or hospital scans a pet, this big long number will come across their scanner, and then they enter that into the aha.org's universal microchip lookup tool. And what that does is that gives the veterinary hospital or the shelter the name of the company that makes that chip. Because you can't look at the outside of a dog or cat and know which company to call unless they have a tag on them. So once the shelter or vet hospital has figured out the company, then they call the the company or they look them up online and now they can find the owner. That's if the owner has maintained the registration. So just because the chip is in your dog or cat until they pass away doesn't mean the information on the chip stays valid. So once a year, you should get some kind of contact information from your microchip company reminding you to renew your registration. And the cost of that is minuscule compared to what happens if you lose your animal. So that's something that I always want to remind people about. August 15th, I believe, this year is Check the Chip Day. We have that every year as a profession. And what we're looking for is to remind people to make sure that that information is up to date so their pet can be reunited with them. We always see great stories in the news about how far a cat or dog has gone, and how the microchip got them home. But it's more, most importantly, that's that information. You know, I, one of the things I want to say, and one of our sponsors is Save This Life. It's a company, and one of the things I like about them is they will register anybody's chip, okay? And what's so cool is they give you a tag, and they create a Google number for every single microchip that's registered. When you find the pet, the little tag will say, Google this number to help find my family. So what you do is when they Google that number, the 24-7-ly manned office of Save This Life will contact the owner. When they pick up their phone, they'll get a Google map, and their Google map will show where the person is standing with your pet. So it's not like a GPS because they can't implant a GPS. No one's come up with that technology yet, but this is a great way to know exactly where your pet is once somebody else finds it. And they don't because the Google number is right there, they don't have to take it in anywhere. They just Google the number. That's so so cool. it's it's really cool. And one thing about like then you said that, and many of the companies do, and I totally agree, you need to register your pets and make sure the registration stays valid. Save This Life will continue to register for the one flat initial fee. They do not charge an annual fee, which is very unusual because, as you know, many of the microchip companies will charge, and even and like I said, it's minuscule. It might be 15 bucks a year, but Save This Life won't charge. So it's just, it's that's sort of become my new favorite because it allows anybody to register anyone's chip. It doesn't have to be theirs. And uh, you get that Google thing, and I think that's a great plus. We talked about airlines. Another thing I want to talk about before we go, and of course, whenever I'm on the, the you're, you're on my show, the time goes way too fast. But one of the things that I want to talk about is hotels. Now, everybody loves to take their pets with them, right? And when they travel, it's the thing to do. And for them, it's not a vacation if Bowser or Fifi can't come along. And, I, and that's great. But one thing I've heard from a lot of clients over the years is that they went to what was considered to be a pet-friendly hotel until they showed up with their 75-pound Labrador. And the hotel says, oh, oh no, 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 no. We, we, we have a 35-pound limit. So just know that when you hear of pet-friendly, which is great, and I'm so thrilled that many of the big chains, I mean, I've been to, at some really fancy hotels like Peninsula and Four Seasons and Ritz, and I see dogs running around. They know they're going to lose their customer base if they don't provide and they do it really in a classy fashion, by the way, for pets. But 
many of them will have wait limits. So if you're going to make those arrangements, you're going to make the reservations, you're going to ask if your hotel is pet friendly or you go online and it says pet friendly, don't assume that means all pets. So you may have to leave that pot-bellied pig at home. So you have to be just really aware and know what questions to ask and uh, understand that that is the case. And one last thing before we go, we see, and I know you see, a lot of cases of allergies. And allergies, you know, if, if you think about the two most common allergens, you know, right now it, I kind of chuckle when everybody's coming in and they're feeding these gluten-free foods and these things yeah. because, well, let's talk anthropomorphizing here because I don't like gluten and I'm having a problem. I know my dog is too. Just so you know, there has been, I talked to a nutritionist, oh, maybe three or four weeks ago, a board-certified veterinary nutritionist, my friend from Pennsylvania. There's been no studies yet confirming that animals can have gluten. Now, could a dog have a wheat allergy as an individual allergen? Absolutely. But don't think that, oh my God, because my dog is exhibiting signs of allergy, we have to give him gluten-free food. There are ways to test. It's not easy. Having said all that, if you look at the percent of allergies that we see in our dogs that are related to food, it's relatively small, 15 to 20%. So that means 80 to 85% of allergies are not food. So just don't start ruling out thinking food. There are some clues based on where the lesions are in the body. Food allergies, these dogs are usually chewing at their feet. They're rubbing at their face sometimes, maybe even at their ears. Now, ears are funny because ears can overlap with a lot of other allergies too. But certainly, if you have an allergy that is non-seasonal, that means it's all year round exactly the same, it's feet and face and sometimes ears, then yeah, you can start thinking food. When you have an allergy that is seasonal and it's much worse this time of year, then you have to think, what are the more common allergens? Pollens, and that comes from weeds, trees, and grasses, or fleas, and fleas are a biggie. And even though we have great flea products out there, you have to know that sometimes if a dog is hypersensitive, it could take one flea. Just ask the person who is sensitized to bees. They don't have to be attacked by a swarm to get into anaphylaxis. All it takes is one or that one bite of shrimp if they have you know, shellfish allergies. So whatever it is, just know that pets can be very, very sensitive to fleas. So when you have your pets, we have to get them to your veterinarian, hopefully an aha practice. No, I'm just kidding. That was just for Heather. I threw that in there. Uh, and um, have your pets checked. And the history, that's why when it comes to allergies, if you ever make an appointment with a board-certified veterinary dermatologist that do allergies, you're going to make a long appointment. Why? History is so critical because there are going to be certain clues that we have. And again, let's say we have a non-seasonal allergy, but it's not feet and it's not face and it's other parts of the body. Now we have to start thinking about what do you have around your house that's there all year, whether it's a capoc or wool or cotton or feathers, or I've had some animals that came back positive. You ready for this? I love this one. Human epithelia. That means, yeah, you may be allergic to your cat, but guess what? Your dog's allergic to you. So, uh, or, or allergic to the cat. So, um, uh, just know that it's a very common thing we see. The reason we see more of it this time of year is 80% of them are seasonal allergies related to the pollens and the grasses, the weeds and the trees and the molds and the fleas. So what else, Heather? Add something. Well, I just, I, I completely agree. And I did emergency medicine work for over almost 10 years. And the itching that happens in, in allergic pets will even bring people into the ER at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's that right. annoying. But do seek out uh, advice from your veterinarian first instead of, frankly, wasting money changing different types of food. There's lots of great foods out there, um, but you don't need to spend $40 a bag and go through, you know, two of them in a week to figure out that wh whether or not your dog has food allergies. It's a very long, tedious process. So save time and money and go to your vet first. 
And I, you know, I always say about the foods, you know, it's so funny when you hear these people coming in and they say, well, I went to this pet store and they told me that this is the best food. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, if there was a best, okay, why would you need one of these super stores, these pet stores, right, big brand names with 17 aisles of food if there's a best? They would all sell the best. You know, it's like, it's, I always tell people, and it's very funny, you walk down, if you go to a supermarket, the number one aisle as far as variety are breakfast cereals. And number two, pet foods. So it's like, come on, really? You're going to tell me that there's a best? Why do all these others have to be here? So uh, anyway, no, it's exactly very funny. Right. And speaking about the best, then tying back into the travel issue, when you our people are traveling this year and you're trying to look for a hospital, a veterinary hospital, in case you have an emergency or you've just gotten someplace and you realize you do need, you are having an allergic outbreak to something, maybe something new in the environment, safest thing to do is to go to aha.org, A-A-H-A.org, and find a, our hospital locator. And you can find accredited hospitals like Dr. Jeffs and like my hospital that have gone through a very, very rigorous process to make sure they adhere to almost 900 standards of care. So if you're in a new place, you can't ask word of mouth, you can't ask your friends or your neighbors because you just arrived, go to aha.org, use the hospital locator, and you should find, you'd be very pleased with what you find um, to help out your dog or cat in that time. And that's true, Heather, and I say, oh, when people ask me if they are moving and they ask me if I know anybody in this particular town, if I do, if it's a friend, if it's a colleague from the, you know, the veterinary world and that I will you know, often recommend. But if not, I say, go to aha.org. If you find an aha practice, American Animal Hospital Association practice, again, it, can't, it doesn't necessarily vouch for the personality. You're not going to find a Dr. Lenzer or a Dr. Werber there. Yeah, maybe not. But, but, what, with that, but. <laughs> but you know that this hospital has gone through major hoops from protocols, from equipment, from layout, from uh, materials to make sure, to assure that your pet is going to be well, well taken care of. So I'm, I'm a, a big fan and I, I agree with you 100%. So anyway, thanks for joining us. It is that time. It goes very quickly. 9.31 already. By you, it's 1.31, you poor thing. Your day is half over. Mine's just yeah. starting. Anyway, um, have a great, it's my, actually today we're celebrating my granddaughter's, my second granddaughter's uh, first birthday today. So I'm going to a big, so cute fun. party. Yeah, it's really fun. Real fun. So anyway, um, have a great week, everybody. Uh, once again, thanks to our sponsors, ProSense, Pet Products, Save This Life Microchip, Kong Veterinary Products, Elenco Lily, makers of Comfortis and Trifexis, which are great products for, please, heartworm at this time of year. Take advantage of it. And we will see you back next week. I think I may be in Atlanta doing the Weather Channel, actually. Um, so if not, we, I may do it from there. We'll do it remote. Uh, we'll let you know. But uh, if not next week, it'll be in two weeks. So have a great week or two, everybody, and we'll see you soon. And thank you again to uh, Dr. Heather Lenzer and the American Animal Hospital Association for letting us borrow her for the last half hour. And have a great vacation there in, in Nova Scotia. I will. Have a great time. Everyone have a nice summer. Stay safe. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.